delayed the season. And in case there was any doubt, in case you looked at your calendar this week and said there is no way in the wide world of sports that it is the holiday season, that king of nice, the irrepressible Jimmy Fallon, has unofficially kicked off the season of the holidays this past week by inviting his viewers to tweet messages at him using the hashtag, MyFamilyIsWeird. Right now, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, my family is weird. Now, I thought, you know, as we approach Thanksgiving and we're preparing for the food and many of us are preparing for family, it might be encouraging to look at what some other people are dealing with. So these are some of the my family is weird tweets that Jimmy got a hold of this week. Check this out. The first one. The first one. My mom eats cake, ice cream, and other desserts while riding her stationary bike, saying that they cancel each other out. My brother thought he was Asian until fourth grade because he answered cock Asian on standardized tests. He now goes to MIT. I once walked outside to find my mom standing in the rain holding our dead dog's ashes singing, I hope you dance. I love this one. My friend's aunt has a collection of nutcrackers. She named every one of them after members of her family. So as you gather with friends and family over Thanksgiving, just realize it could be worse. They could be naming nutcrackers after you. Now, now family is awesome. And to be sure, we can all kind of laugh at these little snapshots of family life given to us in 140 characters or less. But the reality is that we all have family to one degree or another. By virtue of the fact that you're drawing breath, we know that you came from somewhere. And there are really kind of three categories of family that I think all of us fall into. Three categories that comprise a continuum, if you will. The, the, the one end of the continuum is, is the category where, man, your family, our family is just awesome. Every day is a good day. You look forward to the holidays. You're thinking, this is going to be great when we gather around the table and our family is great. We've got some quirkiness to be sure, but our family is awesome. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there, there is the, the category where, where just the mere word family conjures up deep and, and probably enduring pain for some people that it's a very real thing and maybe some of those scars are not so far in the distant past they may be actually current and there's not a lot of joy and so the holidays kind of crystallize and metastasize that pain in our lives that that's the other end of the spectrum from the awesome but i think most of us truth be told would find ourselves kind of somewhere in the middle kind of in that middle category where it's not all awesome all the time and it's not incredibly terribly painful most of the time but we're kind of somewhere in the middle where truth be told our families of origin and the families we exist in right now really most of them for the most part really are believe it or not doing the best that they can with what they've got to work with and they they're trying to love us at their own pace in the best way possible and so this morning, no matter where you may fall along that continuum, I think we have an incredible 
opportunity. Let's say that you're down here in the awesome camp and your family's just great. Well, then you know what? You just go, girl. You knock yourself out. And this is a great opportunity this week around Thanksgiving to practice the lost art of celebrating that we kicked this series off with a couple of weeks ago. If your family's all awesome all the time, man, you celebrate that, knock yourself out, and have some more turkey. That's great. But if you're like most of the rest of us, where you're somewhere in the middle or maybe even all the way down there, I think there is a unique opportunity today, a unique opportunity for us to test the good news of Jesus Christ, to really truly test the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's my question. Here's the test for the gospel. If you've stepped into this relationship with Christ, if you've entered into a genuine relationship with Christ, does the gospel really and truly impact our families? Specifically, does what we claim to believe impact what we aim, how we aim to behave? Does what we claim to believe impact how we aim to behave, specifically as it relates to family that can be, somebody help me preach, sometimes challenging How many of you know about challenging families? Maybe you've seen specials on TV or you've read books. But the fact of the matter is family is not always funny. Family can be challenging. And before I kind of really get into where we're going today, I have to give you a a disclaimer. I, I have a pastoral confession to make this morning. Technically, technically, I may or may not have plagiarized part of my sermon today. It's true. I, I have, I've plagiarized part of this, but, but let me just tell you this. I plagiarized it from my wife, Julie. And so technically the Bible says the two are one, so I have plagiarized from myself, spiritually speaking. Now, the other side of that is that Julie and I, as husband and wife, have been processing family for the better part of 25 years, going back to when we began dating. And we we understand this. And I will tell you that in our household, we are tremendously, overwhelmingly blessed by our families of origin. We've got incredible family, incredible support around us. But that's not to say that we don't have some quirky to deal with from time to time. That's not to say that we haven't had to to process through some issues ourselves as husband and wife. And so I want you to understand that as we go through this today, this is not something from up high on the mountain. But this is rather somebody, a fellow struggler standing with you shoulder to shoulder. Because Julie and I have observed in our own family and also by virtue of what we get to do every day in ministry, that every family has issues every family has issues tell your neighbor right now and smile when you say this your family's got issues now don't don't get too smug about that don't don't be smug about the fact that you just got to tell them because you may be that person's family issues i'm just just putting it out there as a possibility but everybody's got issues it's not just the Simpsons. It's not just 
modern family that has issues. That's why I've said for years, I don't like the term dysfunctional family. Because I believe dysfunctional family implies that somewhere there's a functional family out there. And the reality is we've all got issues. Dysfunction is real to be sure, but dysfunction is just another word for sin. And so when you have two people come together in marriage and they create a family and that family goes out into the world, by definition you've got imperfect people creating more imperfect people. And there's an opportunity there for the gospel to impact that imperfection for the gospel to be brought to bear to really and truly matter you see the reality is you and i can only change only what we can change you and i can only change only what we can change the way i heard this put one time was so simple but so brilliant you see a lot of times we want to change our family and our the people around us We want to change the way that they think, the way that they act, the way that they talk. And the problem with that is that we cannot, no matter how desperately we want to, unscrew the top of their heads. Now, we want to take their heads off sometimes, but I'm not talking about that now. You can't unscrew the top of their head, put the thoughts in there that you want to be there, put the lid back on, and then have them behave accordingly. The only thing you can do is only what you can do. And so the message of the gospel as it pertains to family, I think especially timely as many of us will be visiting with family this week, comes down to a very, very direct one sentence answer. And this is it. Extend honor and grace and run your own race. Extend honor and grace and run your own race. Now, let me say this very clearly and very clearly and loudly. I do not believe that the gospel intends to ever diminish or discount real hurts. And to be sure, a lot of us have experienced some very real hurts at the hands of family. Those things are legitimate. They're real As a matter of fact, the gospel says that not only should they be acknowledged, but it is the gospel that heals those things. It is the good news of Jesus that brings healing and wholeness into our lives. The song that we sang during worship this morning, nothing but the blood can make me whole again. Whole again. The blood of Jesus Christ heals our wounds, the Bible says. The Bible says that, by the way, 500 years before Jesus ever walked on the earth. We are healed by Jesus' blood, by his wounds. What he went through on the cross and in his resurrection is intended and available for healing in our lives. So no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've been, The gospel matters. But here's what you can do. You and I can extend honor and grace and run our own race. Now when we talk about extending honor, that's one of those things that is in our culture today a foreign concept. Say honor. Honor Honor is a big word. 
One of the first places we encounter the word honor in Scripture is in the book of Exodus, in the Ten Commandments. God's initial explanation of how to live in relationship with him. He says what? Honor your father and your mother. Later on, the New Testament reinforces that and says, remember that commandment because it's the first commandment that is given to you with a promise. Honor your father and mother that you may live a long life. Now, we kind of told Emily and Joseph that if you didn't honor your father and mother, you wouldn't live long. But what is really being promised there is the fact that God honors honor. God will bless those who honor. And I did not understand this fully until we had kids. And I'm not talking about Emily and Joseph honoring Julie and me, but what I'm talking about is the privilege and and just the out and out fun that came with teaching Emily and Joseph to honor Julie's mom and dad and my mom and and even even my dad I've shared with you that my parents split up when I was 12 and my dad hit the eject button but there have been opportunities in Emily and Joseph's life for me to share with them good things that my dad did great things that my mom did for example to tell Emily and Joseph your grandmother Nana she raised three boys by herself you talk about tiring I mean, because my brothers were a handful. I helped as much as I could. (laughs) But for me to say, let me tell you about your Nana. She raised three boys by herself. She kept us tethered to the church. She made sure that in our household, the church was not just another extracurricular, but that it was curricular, that it was a central part of who we were as a family. And because of that, my brothers and I, all three, have a relationship with Christ today. All three of my brothers, I mean my brothers, the three of us, also married Christ followers. The three of us are all still married today and more or less contributing members of society. Your Nana did that. To hold up Julie's mom and to say, let me tell you about your Shuggy. Let me, let me tell you about Julie, about your mom's mom. She is one of the funniest people I've ever met. But what you may not know is she is one of the most gracious humble people I've ever been around. She treats everybody exactly the same. She sees absolutely no difference between anybody, no matter where they fall, socioeconomically, color, gender, anything. That's your grandmother. Your grandfather, man, he's a piece of work. Let me tell you about your grandfather. And he does a great job and he works hard, but the thing that gets your grandfather up every day is his responsibility, his sense of owning the responsibility that he has. And, and that's what drives him. And that's, that's part of who you are. That, that's a part of your legacy. That's a part of your family. And so to lift them up and to honor that. Some of you are thinking right now, well, man, that would be awesome. You don't know my parents, Mac. You don't know what I went through as, as a child or, or what even now my parents do the way they try to manipulate i understand that and sometimes when the person is not honorable you have to honor the position you have to honor the position when the person doesn't earn it on their own here's the deal no matter how how reprobate your parents or somebody in your family may be you can still honor the position they hold in your family You can still honor that. If nothing else, your parents got you here. I mean, 
that that's worth something, isn't it? So you just take one anything that you can find, and you extend honor to that person. You show your children how to honor people before you. You teach them the blessing and the gift of honoring authority and honoring elders. You see, our problem is we have grown up and we have become a culture. We know just enough psychobabble to be deadly dangerous. We do, man. We, we've, there's so many mainstream psychology books out there right now, people running around going, my dad didn't hug me. My mom put my diapers on too tight. I get it. I, it happens. I get that. But here's the problem. When we make that our children's problem, instead of moving past it, my responsibility is to Emily and Joseph. Okay, I got dealt a raw deal. You got dealt a raw deal. What do you do with it? Do you sit and sulk? Do you sit and soak in it? Oh, people don't know. My life's so hard. I get it. Life's hard sometimes. People make stupid decisions. How many of you know people that made stupid decisions? How many of you have made a stupid decision? Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you? <laughs> but we extend honor. But then we also have the opportunity to show the next generation what that looks like. Look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter 12. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, Romans, you have to understand something. Romans is the Apostle Paul's Ph.D. dissertation. It's, it's his dissertation describing how the gospel affects not only philosophy and worldview, which is kind of where he begins, but then he moves from philosophy and worldview down into the, the nitty-gritty and the day in and day out. If you've never read the book of Romans, I would encourage you to buckle up and go read it. You will never, ever view the Christian faith the same way again. No one can read Romans and think that the Christian faith is something where you have to check your brain at the door. Romans is deep water, baby. But in Romans chapter 12, Paul has moved from the philosophical and the worldview down into this tangible day in and day out. Love each other with genuine affection. So what if you don't like somebody in your family? Hypothetically. <laughs> that was the laugh of recognition. The rest of you are under conviction. But if you don't like somebody... That's fine. A lot of people aren't likable. But if you've entered into a relationship with Christ, you look at people differently. All of a sudden, you see people as Jesus sees them. And you see them as not the wielder of wounding, but you see them as somebody who hasn't yet discovered living the life that is truly life. And you realize they've treated you or they've acted the way that they have because of some kind of brokenness inside of themselves. And now all of a sudden, you begin to look at them the way Jesus does and you pray, God, forgive him for he knows not what he does. God, forgive her. Help me to forgive her. Which is actually a great segue. Because remember, we extend honor and then 
we extend grace, extend grace to the people in our lives, to our families. Now, most of us, when we gather around a Thanksgiving table this week, we will bow our heads and say grace. I'm curious. I want to take an unscientific poll. How many of you, when you say grace around the table, you join hands? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you, you fold hands? That's, that's interesting, isn't it? I, I think the Episcopals fold hands and the Baptists hold hands. But, but whatever you might do, when you gather together, you say grace over the meal means you're acknowledging the grace or the gift of God for the food that is before you. But there's also the grace that God has given us in Jesus. And we start to understand that that Jesus has forgiven me. I mean, I, I was a moral failure as far as the perfection of God is concerned. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross and then rose again, he rose with the offer of forgiveness. And so I, I've, I've claimed that forgiveness. I, I own my junk, man. That, that's, I need that. But the people around the table with us, should they be any less worthy of grace than you? Should they be any less worthy of grace than me? Should, should the turkey or the cranberries get more grace than the people getting ready to consume them? We extend that grace because we've been given that grace. Now, let, let, can we just be honest real quick? Just, just very, very quickly. Some people in our families are just hard to get along with. Don't raise your hand. But, but you, you know what I'm talking about. They're those people who, man, they just love to kind of stir the pot, kind of twist the knife, kind of just... Mm. And, and you, 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 they're, they're there at the table with you. And, and it doesn't matter what you do. If you say, so how was your year? Oh, yeah, like you care. I was just asking a question, Cousin Eddie. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just axing. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you ask. It doesn't matter how you talk to them. They're just tough to get along with. Well, those people are addressed by the gospel as well. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means you do what you can do. You do what you can do and make peace the goal that that's that's the target that's what you're aiming for is to be at peace with everyone so so this thanksgiving or maybe during on into christmas somebody tries to kind of you know stir the pot and go like did you hear what your brother did how many of you get phone calls like that did you i don't know have you talked to your mother lately you know what she said to me listen as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Extend honor and grace. You see, grace is not only something that we need for ourselves, but we need it for ourselves. I know it sounds like I repeated myself, but check this out. 
We need grace. We need that forgiveness. But we also need grace to forgive others. I'm curious, have you ever enjoyed holding on to a grudge? Am I the only one? Sometimes it is fun to hold on. I'm not saying it's right or it's good. Don't don't write this down and say the pastor said it was okay. I'm just being transparent. Have you ever said, you know what? I know I should forgive her, but right now I am enjoying hanging on to the grudge because she has irritated me and I'm not letting go. I will show her. Here's the problem with that. That only affects us. It doesn't affect her. It doesn't affect him. If you don't forgive them, most of the time they don't even know. But when you hold on to a grudge... You have shackled yourself to a ball and chain. And you are just like, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Good to be here. Could you pass the cranberries, please? Oh, no, don't bother this. It's just a little way that I walk. It's no problem at all. Check this out in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down like unforgiveness and a grudge, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see, a grudge, unforgiveness is a sin. Just call it what it is. Let's don't beat around the bush. Let's don't say it's a misunderstanding or I'm waiting for her to apologize. I'm waiting for him to recognize the wrong unforgiveness is a choice that I make to hold a grudge and it buries us. See, we have to extend grace not because the other person deserves it, but because our lives need it. And as a matter of fact, the less they deserve it, the more amazing grace is and the more Christ-like we act. So we extend honor and grace, but then we've got to run our own race. The fact of the matter is there are people in our families that are not on board with the calling and the vision God has placed before our lives. That happens. So you be kind to everyone, live at peace, but make sure that you're chasing God with everything that you've got, that you're living out your life. What's the first thing that we understand about marriage in the Bible? In the Bible, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A man will leave his father and mother. A man will leave. A woman will leave mommy and daddy in order to be united to their spouse. At a certain point, you've got to leave. Always honor, but make sure you leave. Because God's got something for you to do 
to build on what he's built into your life through your parents and many times in spite of them. Run your race. What is it God's called you to do? Well, my mom, she just freaks out if we don't go home for Thanksgiving. Listen, honor her, but if you don't need to go home, don't go home. You don't have to, I'm so sorry. No. And if you are the mom or the dad, be the no drama mama. She goes, you know, I love Julie's mom and dad are great. We'll be here at Christmas. Love to see you if you can make it. Take care. There's no guilt associated with that. I called my mom this year. Emily and Joseph are in college. They're not coming home for Thanksgiving. I said, Mom, we're going to Carolina for Thanksgiving. She goes, Mac, knock yourself out. We'll be fine. And she hung up and cried uncontrollably for three weeks. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She was great. It's weird. It's new. We've done Thanksgiving together with my family for over a decade now. It's been great. We had a good run. It's a different season of life. Can I tell you something? I was, I'm 49 years old. 49. I was a little bit nervous about calling my mom and telling her we weren't doing Thanksgiving with her. Sue me. She was great. She was better with it than I was. I hung up the phone and I said, that's right. I'll see you when I see you. And I made sure the phone was hung up. Family's funny. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, I think, lays out an incredible roadmap for this functional family to, to understand how we get there, how what we believe impacts how we behave. Look at what he says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Time out. You know what slander is? Slander is telling the truth to harm somebody. When you, if you tell the truth in an effort to hurt somebody, either their reputation or them personally, you slandered them. It's a bad idea. As well as all types of evil behavior. Just get rid of it. Stop it. Don't do it. Well, Mac, that's easier said than done. Okay. So? You think you're different? My situation's special. No, it's not. I'm just, I'm I'm telling you because I love you too much to lie to you. You're not that special. Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, get rid of all of it. Quit it. Now, if he had just left it there, that would be one thing. But man, Paul, Paul rarely just leaves it there. Look at what he says. He goes on, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, Ooh. just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
Oh, yeah. The gospel. The good news. That Jesus thing. What I claim to believe really ought to impact how I aim to behave. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. We've talked about family, hashtags and continuums and challenges and issues, but I want to make sure that you understand everything rises and falls on our response to the gospel. Now some of us here today have have stepped into that gospel relationship with God. We've said, I choose to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. The Son of God. The always and forever. The forgiver. And I will follow him. I will surrender my life to him. But if you're here today and you've never taken that step, we want to invite you to do just that. To step into that amazing grace. That wholeness created by nothing but the blood of Jesus. All that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross... He shed his blood for you personally by name. He did so by choice. And then he rose again on the third day with the promise and the offer of a new life to make all things new. starting with you. If you want to step into that and respond to that grace initiative today, we want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Just pray silently. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I admit I need you grace and so I give you my life I will follow you from this moment forward Jesus I pray this prayer in your name our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just another moment.
if that was your prayer and you meant it, I want to ask you in just a holy moment, if you would, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. And as you hold your hand up, this is the most important moment of your life. And so I ask you to hold your hand up to to mark this moment and to stamp it. Hold that hand up and know that this is real. And know that you've just entered into the family of faith. Now the family of faith certainly isn't perfect. We're united by our imperfection and our worship of a perfect Savior. And so we celebrate that in your life. And this particular family of faith, this local church, wants to be that family for you. So as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.